0: Well, now, good and gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together in this room be found pleasing in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Brothers and sisters, grace to you this morning and peace from the Lord Jesus Christ. Just a few moments ago, we listened to a passage uh, from the book of Acts that involves two main characters, Paul and Barnabas. And a friend of mine once said that these two remind him of some of those old buddy movies, you know, where two friends go traveling together and experience all kinds of thrills and spills. I know you're familiar with some of these, Men in Black, Blues Brothers, Bridesmaids. Thelma and Louise, Woody and Buzz Lightyear. Some of us here remember the original string of buddy movies starring Bing Crosby and Bob Hope. Well, Paul and Barnabas are are kind of like that. They are the first two missionaries in the history of the church, and boy, did they have adventures. Today's episode uh, tells of what happens to them in a little town called Lystra, And they're not there very long, but while they are, people raise them way up, and then they throw them way down. In one minute, they're being worshipped as gods. The next minute, they're getting stoned. Well, they're they're being stoned. Actually, there's a difference. (laughs) We move on. Here's what happened. (laughs) Lystra is in the province of Galatia. It's a little town up in the hill country, and the people there are largely irreligious. They're certainly not orthodox, and they're somewhat superstitious. And soon after they arrive, Paul starts talking with some of the villagers there and telling them some of the stories about Jesus. And while he's talking to them, he notices a man sitting there. And what we're told in the story is that this man has never been able to walk a day in his life. But as this man listens to what Paul is saying, the spirit moves in him and Paul sees that. And he says to the man, stand up and walk. And Luke tells us this man doesn't just stand, he leaps up and begins walking around. And all the villagers who've known this man all their lives can't believe their eyes. They start hollering, the gods are here, pointing at Paul and Barnabas, they cry, these men are gods in disguise. Look, it must be Zeus and Hermes. See, there was this legend started by the ancient poet Ovid that once the supreme god Zeus and his son Hermes had come to this very region disguised as ordinary mortals. But nobody had welcomed them except one elderly peasant couple. And so the two gods destroyed everybody but the elderly couple. And so now the villagers don't want to make that mistake again. So the the priest of Zeus from nearby brings two oxen to offer a very expensive sacrifice and garlands of flowers to honor Paul and Barnabas. Well, to their credit, these two respond by being appropriately horrified by this. They tear their clothes as a reaction against blasphemy. And they say, loosely translated, What in the Sam Hill are you doing? We're people just like you. And then they go on and give an impassioned message about the living God who created everything. And they invite the people to turn away from worshiping gods they have made. And even so, Luke says... That with these words, even so, they barely keep the crowd from offering sacrifices to them. But here's the thing. In the very next verse, this story does a complete about face. Some enemies of Paul show up in that very place and incite the crowd against them. The people wind up taking Paul and stoning him to the point where they think he's dead. This is what they intend. And they drag his body out of town for the vultures to finish off. Turns out, Paul's not dead. And the next day, he and Barnabas continue on their way. This is what happened in Lystra to Paul and Barnabas. In one minute, they're being exalted. And the next, one of them is nearly executed. And the thing worth taking to heart about these two is how utterly unfazed they are by either response. When praised, they deflect it, or actually, they redirect it toward God. When beat up, they shake it off and get on with their mission. Why? I believe it's because they're secure in their identity as God's children... ...and secure in their mission of embodying good news. In other words, these two know who they are and they know what they're about. This story, I think, reminds us that whenever we let other people tell us who we are... ...we're going to face judgments about ourselves that are all over the map. And and it goes deeper than just declaring haters going to hate... What this story actually suggests is that the very same people who want to put us on a pedestal will in time be the very same ones who want to drag us out of town. And if we're not careful, you and I can spend our whole life being the victim of somebody's fickle opinion. And of course, it's not just other people's opinions of us. There is this ever-present temptation toward our own up-and-down opinion of ourselves. If you don't know who you are, then you're always vulnerable to that never-ending cycle of self-adoration, followed by self-loathing. It's like having this crazy radio station always on in your head. Out of the left speaker, you hear how fabulous you are, and everybody wants to be you, and Pope Francis is asking for your phone number. But then, Out of the other speaker comes this steady stream of accusations, reminders of all the mistakes you've made, what a terrible spouse or friend or pastor or colleague you are, and how everyone knows you're pathetic. They're just too polite to tell you. But friends, they don't call this good news for nothing. Because Jesus came, among other things, to turn off, The crazy radio station. And the Spirit of Christ invites us to get free from the tyranny of other people's opinions and the tyranny of our own opinions of ourselves. There are voices outside and inside of you saying you're divine. And there are voices outside and inside saying you're demonic. Don't you believe either voice, both are telling you a lie. I'm going to read two messages that I happened to receive years ago on the very same day. First, in the form of an email. Julie, every good thing God is doing at our church right now is all because of you. Any future we have as a congregation depends on your leadership. You are the best pastor this church has ever had. Message number two, an anonymous handwritten card slipped under my office door. Julie, you are, without a doubt, and going back a century, the worst pastor this church has ever had, and I don't know why the search committee ever decided to inflict you upon us in the first place, but I want you to know I pray every day for your hasty departure. (laughs) Now, Both of these notes are dangerous for different reasons. One can lead to despair, clearly. The worst pastor in a century, ouch. But the other can lead to pride, which in my opinion is the more dangerous of the two. Every good thing God is doing is because of you. Please, both are a lie. And we live in a town in which all kinds of folk deify and demonize people for a living. Acts 14, this story has Washington written all over it. And America, really. Sisters and brothers, only God tells you the whole truth about yourself. And it's this, that you are a beautiful mix of both the fabulous and the fallen And that love created you good and sin has made you sick. And yet, even though you may have forgotten God's image stamped in your clay, God hasn't forgotten. And the beloved with a never give up on you no matter what kind of love keeps calling you to remember who you are. But of course, along with human voices that speak false words, as with the two messages I just read, God also sometimes speaks truth to us through human voices. Thirty-four years ago, in the spring of 1985, I was in my final year at Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary in Mill Valley, California, not far from the Golden Gate Bridge. And I happened to be serving at that time as minister of music and youth at 19th Avenue Baptist Church there in the city. And one of the members there was a woman in her 40s named Sue who played the piano as a volunteer in our Sunday evening service back when there was such a thing. Sue was working at the time on her PhD at Berkeley and was one of the smartest people I have ever known. She was, however, a seriously mediocre piano player, which made my job as music minister well, kind of challenging. But then, what do you know, as if straight from the hand of God, a piano performance major at the San Francisco Conservatory of Music joined the church Lorraine was the answer to my prayers. The wheels in my 25-year-old brain were just spinning like mad. And so one night after Sue had finished struggling through the postlude at the end of worship, while she was still on the piano bench, I came and laid a hand on her shoulder and proceeded to explain to her in the kindest way possible that Well, perhaps Lorraine's musical gifts would be a better match for our needs. And thanks so much, Sue, for all you've done. But maybe it's time to give Lorraine a try. And the conversation at the time just sort of trailed off in that awkward silence. And to this day, I still cringe to think about it. Well, Sue just kind of quietly disappeared for a long time. And every now and then, thoughts of what I had done to her would would stab at me. But I kept telling myself, it's for the good of the church. Look how much more we can do now in worship. Well, nearly a year later, and one week before my ordination, Sue called me, asked if I would meet her. You bet, I said nervously. How about coffee somewhere? No, she said, I I think maybe someplace more private. And the ball of lead began to form in my stomach. I knew she was going to let me have it, but good. We met over at Golden Gate Seminary, sat together on a little bench on Chapel Hill, overlooking the entire Bay Area. And Sue had never been one for small talk. She looked me in the eye and she said, Julie, I need to tell you, That I almost left the church with a capital C because of the way you treated me. I have never felt more disposable in my whole life. But here's the thing, Julie, she said I'm not leaving because God led me here, and 19th Avenue is my family. And I'm meeting with you today because I need to tell you two things. One, You can't treat people like that. It dishonors God. And two, I forgive you. I didn't want to forgive you, she said. But you're so green in ministry, I figured someone had to help you pull your... Well, you get the idea of what she said. And she was right. And while there have been times since then when as a pastor I've needed to help transition some people into other areas of service because that's part of leadership too, I still hear Sue's voice on Chapel Hill that day and it's sacred to me. I hope you have people in your life who speak truth to you like that. If it's a real church we belong to, there will always be a sister or brother standing close by to remind us of who and whose we are. And you know, as I read this text, I can't help but wonder if maybe Barnabas held up a mirror like that for Paul. In the story, when Paul heals that man and the crowd uh, falls all over themselves to, to honor him and worship him, I wonder if something in Paul wants to turn to Barnabas and say, Dude, they love me. Now, the text doesn't say this, but just maybe in that moment, Paul glances sideways at Barnabas and knows that this brother who cares about him will not let him get away with that kind of silly self-aggrandizement. This is what we do for each other in the community of Christ. We give each other reality checks. The text does say this, that later as Paul lies bleeding and left for dead... He finds the strength to get up again when, quote, a group of disciples gathered around him. This is Christian community. And through all of these people, God keeps calling you and me to remember who we are, God's own children forever, flawed and forgiven, sick and being made whole, and held in the love that will never ever let us go when we let God tell us who we are and stay surrounded and grounded in the beloved community, then no one's flattery will puff us up and no one's criticism will pull us down. And at the end of the story today, Paul, with the help of his friends, hobbled back to town. And after a night's rest, he and his buddy, Barnabas, are ready Again, for their next adventure, their Christ-given mission. Secure in knowing who they are and whose they are and will always be. And with the community of Christ beside us and the calling of Christ out before us, we can be too. Thanks be to God. Amen.